0: don't have time to be wasting on these phony, trumped-up culture wars. This fake outrage that, that
1: right-wing media pedals to juice their ratings.
2: Hello, everyone, and welcome in to the Palmetto Family Matters podcast. Justin Hall joined, as always with Mitch Prosser, our Director of Outreach here at Palmetto Family Council. Thank you so much for listening to and streaming this podcast. Again, I want to encourage you to download the Palmetto Family Council app. When you do that, you can listen to all of our podcasts right there on the app, on your phone. You can also listen and watch some content here soon on your Roku TV and on your Apple TV. Today, we're going to talk to you about, and I'm going to use a quote here, the trumped up culture war that is the war of parental rights and how important they are in our country and specifically in our education system. And the reason I say that is from this clip from the 44th president of the United States. The Virginia gubernatorial election is a major election in that obviously it's for the governor's seat of a commonwealth. It's it's for the governor of Virginia. Not only that, it could flip Virginia back purple possibly even red and as a telltale sign of 2022.
1: Absolutely, Justin, that's exactly right. It is going to be a litmus test and for, for us to understand what's going to happen in 2022 and possibly even in 2024. So the Virginia gubernatorial election happening today is vitally important for us to understand the national landscape of politics, not just
2: in the commonwealth. Absolutely, and here is a clip from the 44th President of the United States, Barack Obama, speaking at a rally for the Democratic candidate, Terry McAuliffe.
0: We don't have time to be wasting on these phony, trumped-up culture wars,
2: this fake outrage that right-wing media peddles to juice their ratings. That was the 44th President of the United States on Uh, Just just a few days ago, on the stage with McAuliffe behind him, nodding his head, you hear the crowd cheering along. That video, courtesy of social media, because it's everywhere. He called it the Trumped-up culture war. And again, Mitch, language is language. Those words aren't ill placed; they're for a reason. Here's the here. Let's set the stage. If you're unaware of what's going on in Virginia, Terry McAuliffe, the Democratic candidate, Glenn Youngkin, the Republican candidate trying to win the seat of the outgoing governor, Ralph Northam. You may remember Ralph Northam. Anyway, they're battling for this seat. Glenn Youngkin has come pretty much from out of nowhere in this race and has now overtaken in the polls, has overtaken Terry McAuliffe. So whenever that happens, you see candidates start to bring in the big guns, right? So McAuliffe has brought in the president. He's brought in the vice president. He's brought in the former president. He's brought in Stacey Abrams from Georgia, this coalition trying to drive people to the ballot box. But the problem is Mitch, they pressed in and they leaned into this idea that no one cares about the school boards and critical race theory isn't real. And even if it is, I'm not going to define it. That happened on a news interview. They leaned into that. And now that people are saying, no, my right as a parent in my child's education and medical situations matter, they're now having to backpedal a bit, but they're not backpedaling and just saying, we misstepped, we made a mistake, you do matter. They're going the complete opposite direction. Of course.
1: Justin, this is another attempt from the left to tell you that the things that you care about, those that those of you that are listening right now, what you care about just doesn't matter. In fact, that's not even the direction that America is heading. So if you care about things like parental rights and what's happening in your child's school, specifically with their education and curriculum, not just about the bullying and all of the violence and all of the the promiscuity and the drugs that are happening in the extracurricular activities, right. but the curriculum itself, whether that's sex education, whether that's new math, whether that's social-emotional learning and the critical theory, not just critical race theory, but critical theory as a whole laced curriculum that our children are learning today. What the left, the liberal left, people like President Obama and Those on the left are telling you is the things that you care about, parental rights, making sure that your children have a safe place to learn, that you know what's best for your kids. What you're being told by those on the left is you just don't know what you're talking about. What you care about just doesn't matter.
2: The Washington Post put out this piece on October 21st is an op-ed piece. So again, it's not hard hitting journalism, but it is an op-ed piece and it deserves our attention. In their search for issues that will deliver Congress in 2022, conservatives have begun to circle around the calls of, quote, parents' rights, end quote. In Indiana, Republican Attorney General Todd Rokita recently introduced a Parents' Bill of Rights. In Florida, the legislature passed an even more comprehensive bill, and a growing number of states are allowing parents to sue districts that teach banned concepts. And in Virginia, Republican Glenn Youngkin has made parents' rights a centerpiece of his campaign for governor, staging, quote, Parents Matter rallies and declaring, I believe parents should be in charge of their kids' education. That is from the Washington Post. That's the first paragraph. I will not read you the entire thing. Here's what's interesting, Mitch. Number one, this has now become a political football. We're going to bat this. We're going to kick this. We're going to kick this around the field because Mm -hmm. obviously here's what's so interesting when it comes to politics and when it comes to media coverage as a journalism student Mm -hmm. right here on this campus at the University of South Carolina, that's where I studied journalism. What's so interesting about the political realm is when conservatives christian conservatives raise a grievance and a redress mm-hmm. with government it becomes a and it becomes an attack or it becomes a sharpening of the sword or in this case something that will just deliver a political win it has your you don't care about the human being you care about the political win whereas on the other side we see it now in in president obama's uh comments that we heard off the top and in this piece itself that simply says that you know actually parental rights never have really existed in our country according to case law and according to case study.
1: So Justin you bring up two great points and I think they're worth noting for those of you listening right now. Number 1 this is a political football for the left. This is them telling you that the things that you, once again the things that you care about, the things that matter to you most they're just props. They're just things that the right is trying to use. Those conservative politicians, as the president said, those on the conservative side are just trying to use to divide us. Juice up their ratings. The, the problem with that statement is the divisive language is coming from those who are telling you that what you care about just doesn't matter. Hello, wake up. The second thing is that the Commonwealth of Virginia, specifically Loudoun County, has been the epicenter for what's happening right now. The National School Board Association, the NSBA, just about a month ago sent a letter to the Attorney General of the United States of America, Merrick Garland, in which they stated that some of the actions that were taking place at school board meetings all across America, including Loudoun County, Virginia, could be deemed domestic terrorism. Yes. In other words, if you voiced your opinion, if you voiced your opposition to things like critical race theory, to things like the LGBTQ plus agenda, the sexually pervasive agenda in America, if you voiced your Christian conservative values, that was considered domestic terrorism. Now, they've since backpedaled. They had and to. In fact… Pre-9-11, Merrick Garland, the Attorney General of the United States of America, issues a memorandum in which he states that we must be careful for those that could possibly exercise domestic terrorism. They've since backpedaled that they had to, but they didn't apologize in the way you would think they would. They they didn't say, "Oh, we're sorry for what we said." They said, basically, "We're sorry that we misrepresented." Yes. They didn't say, "You're not terrorists. You're not wrong." They said, "Well, w- we were off in the flavor." This is absurdity. Yeah,
2: I'm sorry, but I'm not sorry. Exactly. And here's and here's this this last paragraph just just gets me. It's just a couple sentences. This is how it wraps up on the Washington Post piece. In framing our public schools as extremist organizations that undermine the prerogative of families, conservatives are bringing napalm to the fight. Mm. That may rally the base and tilt a few elections in their favor. But as with any scorched earth campaign, the cost of this conflict will be borne long after the fighting stops. Parents may end up with a new set of rights, in quotations, only to discover that they have lost something even more fundamental in the process. Turned against their schools and their democracy, they may wake up from their conspiratorial fantasies to find a pile of rubbish, rubble, and a heap of ashes. Wow. Here's where the framing happens, folks. And again, as the as a journalism major, it's all in the wording. That's why it was so important for me to write the piece I did for palmettofamily.org, mm-hmm. where we're talking about the change in the language. Understand... This is how it's being set now. This is not just a trumped-up culture war. This is not just make-believe. Parents really feel like this is happening. Why? Because it is. You mentioned Loudoun County. The stuff that's happening in that school district, I can't say. Number one, because we have to abide by a certain set of rules and and a moral code and what we say on the air. Not only that, I would blush and everyone who knows me would blush. Those are kind of the things that are happening, and are being swept under the rug. It's not just a culture war. It's not just don't pay attention to to the wizard behind the screen here. Don't pay attention to the little man behind the curtain. Focus on the big face that's appearing before you. This is not just a culture war. This is what it's trying to do is the same thing that that Dr. James Dobson talked about in two thousand and one. Start with children lead them, train them in the way that you want to, ultimately, in this case, the government wants to, Mm And, and parents, be darned, we don't care what you think. That's right. This is how it's going to go. And Terry McAuliffe said as much when he says parents shouldn't be involved in what their kids learn in school.
1: That's exactly right. It's cultural erosion through deconstructionism. Yep. And really what we're doing is, well, what the left is doing is they're deconstructing the framework and fabric of our nation in order to rebuild something. They're yes. telling you that the traditional Christian biblical values that you hold dear just don't matter anymore. We're going to part ways with that. Imagine, if you will, that you own a house, and inside the house are all of your belongings, and someone somewhere comes into your house, whether you know it or not, and they take one of your things. Maybe they take uh, a, a butter knife or, or a dinner fork, and then the next day they take uh, your TV remote, and then the next day they take one of your pillows, and before you know it, over the course of a year or two, they've taken everything out of your house. Now, a butter knife really wasn't that big of a deal, or a bedroom pillow, or the well, actually the T V remote would be a really big deal. Actually be, um, yeah. Imagine if you will that slowly but surely over time your belongings were eroded. They were stolen slowly but surely. At what point would you say, Hey man, hey person, get out of my house? Mm-hmm. It's time for us as Christians to wake up and realize that cultural erosion through deconstructionism has slowly but surely over a long period of time stolen many of our belongings, including many of our children, and many people are now just waking up to realize there's been a guy in our house all along, his name is Satan, stealing everything that we care about.
2: This goes, uh, we could go a couple different ways here. I know right now what you're thinking is, okay, well, we can talk about the quote unquote trumped up culture wars. We can talk about how the left is driving us off the cultural cliff. We covered that in episode number one. But in your mind right now, you're saying, hey, it is election day across the country in a lot of different areas, including in Virginia. And I'm I'm sure you're all going to be following that election closely. But we had Representative Brandon Newton in our studio just a couple of days ago. What a timely visit from Representative Newton. Representative Newton, he represents Lancaster and York counties, parts of York County. He was in to discuss his bill, House Bill 4150, which discusses election reform and election reform in the state of South Carolina it it was an illuminating conversation one that I enjoyed I know Mitch you did as well so sit back and enjoy and and learn more about what representative Newton and others and a lot more than you would think are doing in the state house to protect our elections here in South Carolina,
1: Justin, I'm so grateful that we have a statehouse full of men and women that are Christian conservatives. They care about the things that South Carolinians care about from Varnville to Greenville, from Blacksburg to Spartanburg, every ville and berg in South Carolina. Speaking of villas and burgs, Lancaster, South Carolina, part of Lancaster in York County, Representative Brandon Newton is with us today. I'm grateful for what he's doing for the people of his district, his constituency, but not just that. Justin. Brandon, tell us a little bit more about H4105 and what that's doing for every South Carolinian.
0: Absolutely. Well, first, thank y'all so much for having me on the show. Love it. Um, um, proud to have y'all supporting us and all the good stuff y'all do at the state house. Um, it's not unnoticed. Um, so 4150 is really a big bill in that it could finally change our voting system in South Carolina to bring it into what I'd call the modern world. Um, we've basically had the same rules and system for almost 30 years now, and it's simply not, um, the system is not working the way it was intended to. So let me go through some examples of that. Um, we have 18 reasons you can vote absentee in South Carolina,
1: which is no excuse at all. Right? Basically. And,
0: and that's what it's turned into is our elections offices and the public have figured out, okay, I can make one of these work for me. And Mm -hmm. um, and, and so they do. And so we've de facto had early voting in South Carolina for a couple of elections now. People have finally learned they can do this. Well, that's not how it was intended. And so 4150 tries to rebalance our system. So it creates an actual early voting period. Um, so you would go to, go to a polling place like you would on election day, you'd show that photo ID and you would vote on the machine. You wouldn't have to have an excuse to do it. This would set up like a, a two, um, week period of doing this. And more importantly, a big change it does is it requires location. So this is something that I think could be done wrong. If you don't put this in this bill is that by requiring counties by their population or by their land area, um, whichever formula we end up landing on, um, to have certain number of locations. Because, you know, Lancaster County is a great example. We have mm-hmm. 100,000 people. We had one location to vote absentee wow. at the last election. Now, it was the entire county building. So, literally, they put voting machines on all three floors. They had half the county staff just do that for a month. So, wow. we had, I'll say, they voted, a third of our voters voted absentee at the county building, in the whole county, and we never had more than a 10-minute wait. That's awesome. Staff did a wonderful job. I told them y'all deserve praise for figuring out how to do this. Um, But, you know, if we would have had lots of different locations, it would have fixed the issue. Um, Mm -hmm. So looking at putting multiple locations, like Lancaster County under a formula would have like three locations. They could not be more than 10 miles um, close to each other. So we can push these early voting locations out into our rural areas. Um, Because basically every county has to have the one that's at the county building. After that current law, they have complete autonomy on what to do. So you have huge disparities. Richland last time had like seven locations. Lexington had one permanent location. It's not fair. You're treating voters differently. Mm -hmm. So we need to have a state standard for that. And like I said, and pushing that out into our rural areas, I think so important. Early voting should not be something people can only do if they live in the county seat which is how it's working in a lot of South mm-hmm. Carolina. So moving those locations into rural areas. Um, in order to do this, you can finally turn absentee voting, which is when people vote by mail, into what it's supposed to be, which is absentee voting, people who will be absent on election mm-hmm. day. Um, and so the big two that um, we would look at reforming, the, uh, there's a lot of reasons, but there's two that really um, catch almost everyone who votes early. I think it's like 90% of people who vote absentee currently use the 65 and older excuse um, out of town on election day mm-hmm. or working on election day. That's most of the public. Right? Right. And so what ends up happening is they use those three. Um, what I would do is take the abs- the working on election day and the being gone on election day and change that to being out of town for the duration of early voting and election day. Fascinating. So you would still get the people. Look, you get the guy who wants to go to Italy for a month. He mm-hmm. can still vote absentee. Um, you get the person that's out of town every day working except maybe on Sundays where you wouldn't have voting going on he could still go and vote absentee because he won't be there but it stops people from just using our absentee mail-in system as a open-ended door um, and I think that's the key is have that absente let absentee voting be what it was supposed to be absentee voting
2: when we're talking about this absentee voting doesn't it appear that when we, if we were to lessen the avenues of absentee voting and, and, and con, sort of constricting the reasons, mm-hmm. how would that affect turnout? Because I, I believe that's that's where a lot of people go to when it comes to absentee. We saw it in the last yes. major presidential election. It was, okay, all the early numbers are going to come in this way. You're going to see a certain result. Wait three or four hours or three or four days, and then we'll see something different. Mm-hmm. How would how would this bill affect Voter turnout in South Carolina. So
0: I think it would help it by having two weeks of just pure early voting. Mm -hmm. Walk in there, you just vote like you do on election day. Um, It would require having a full Saturday which is, I think, very important, having one Saturday that people who work during the week have the opportunity to go vote on that Saturday. I think, you know, it's funny. It used to be we looked at Saturday voting. weird. Now i am still someone who doesn't believe we should have voting on Sunday. I think, you know, that's a day of rest, and it should stay that way. Um, But having that Saturday lets those people who are working um, go and vote. And so having that and having the multiple locations, um, you know, a lot of people— Columbia, Richland, Lexington is a great example. You know, if you live in Batesburg, Leesville, but you work in Columbia, if that polling place is only open Monday through Friday from 830 to 5, you'll never be able to vote early. So having it maybe close at 6 instead of 5 will catch a lot of people. Having that Saturday will catch a lot of people who otherwise would have to figure out how to get home before 7 p.m., that night, so helping our commuters vote, um, I actually think it would increase turnout because people would now know we're going to have early voting. The ca- the counties will publicize the locations and the dates beforehand, and on top of that, our candidates will look. You know, if I'm running a campaign and we're going to have an early voting location in Indian Land, which is in my district, we've never had one there before. You better believe I'm going to put it on every piece of mm-hmm. literature, everything I pop out there, saying, "Hey, you can vote at the library on 521, yeah. first time ever." You know, and it's going to yeah. be packed. Um, and that's what will happen is trying to, you know, rebalance our system to what it should be, which is if you want to show up and vote early, you show that photo ID, you can vote no excuse. But if you need a, an excuse absentee voting by mail should not be used as a pure early voting method, which is what it's currently being used as.
1: So there's a lot of mixed opinion on this. Uh, Mm -hmm. Justin and I are both Braves fans, and the Atlanta Atlanta All-Star Games moved because of restrictive voting laws. How would you respond to those who would corner you, Brandon? And I misspoke just a moment ago and called it 4105. Tell you that 4150 is restrictive and against minorities and it's oppressive in its language. How would you respond to those people?
0: Well, first, I'd say, you know, right now we're one of, I think, 10 states that don't that have no early voting without an excuse. Only one ten seats. Wow. My bill would take us out of that list of ten and put mm-hmm. us with the other forty that allow some sort of voting with no excuse. So if creating no excuse early voting is restrictive, I'd like <laughs> someone to explain that to me. Um, and like I said, I'm not getting rid of absentee voting. That'll right. still exist. It just will exist for people for the reason of being absent, which is the point of it. You know, sometimes we we let the um, idea of it get too confusing absentee meant absent like that was the point that's, right. that's why it was set up mm-hmm. and we've we and what happened was look the voters wanted to vote early And so what they did was they found a way under our current system to do that, which is what they've been doing. We need to simply give the voters what they've been wanting, which Mm -hmm. is in-person early voting and then mail-in absentee to be what it was always intended to be, which is absent voters.
2: This is the perfect example, by the way, of states doing what they're supposed to do in terms of voter and election law. I mean, this is is a prime example of how our government is supposed to work, by the way. And And I love the point you raised. This... Your bill, if it were to be called restrictive, is actually quite interesting because everything we <laughs> talked about actually cre- makes things more um, equal. And mm-hmm. dare, dare I use the term equitable? No, it makes <laughs> it, it makes everything equal. Yes. And and so when when you're when you're talking to folks, your constituency and others yep. around the state, what's been the response? Either at the Capitol building, or around the state in regards to your, in, to so your it's, bill?
0: It's been really interesting. Like, So I've been surprised how many people are shocked that both parties almost agree on 90% of this. Mm-hmm. They don't realize they do um, because it's such a hot topic. Um, like, All of my Democratic colleagues have no problem with in-person early voting. Mm-hmm. And the vast majority of Republican voters don't have a problem with in-person early voting because you're showing that photo ID just like you would on election day they like that they know those voters are showing that id and, it, and the elections being done safely and securely and so that's something that we really all agree on the only sticking points come into you know using the formula for the locations what do you use like so i originally was going to do a voter roll number so just every 10,000 registered voters you get another location or 50,000 you have to have another location um, one of my democratic colleagues brought up why don't you do a Person one and a land area one because that's a great do. idea and I loved it because I in you know, about her idea. point was look from my town to the county seat is mm-hmm. is an hour drive oh yeah and she said but we might only have one location and I was like well let's have both formulas is what, what I what would love to do is have both formulas and then let people um, let the counties choose between the two you know but they can't have lower than the lowest one you know mm-hmm. and put that on the counties because right now the counties have full autonomy they can have Thirty absentee voting locations, or they can have one, and that's a huge to me. That's a that's an equal opportunity, equal rights issue there, in that you're going to have counties that are giving access one way, you just cross this imaginary line in the sand and they aren't giving the same access. That's a da- I think that's
2: more dangerous than doing nothing. I think the word wouldn't be restrictive. I, I think the word is is creating, this bill would create some sort of system yeah. that makes sense and and that keeps everybody on equal footing while while giving the counties the options to choose if that were to happen, yeah. giving them the opportunity to choose, but you're setting the framework yeah, have they need standard. to work in. We yeah. need to have some kind of standard for this.
1: Representative Newton, I'll Love what you said there about uh, making sure that every voice is heard. Mm -hmm. And that's what I believe makes you and others like you such great representatives and legislators is that idea of compromise. Now Mm -hmm. that's a bad word to a lot of people, Mm -hmm. but that is what our framers, the founders of our nation set up. They meant for the legislative body to be one where there was an arduous slog, making sure that the best ideas were heard and the worst ideas were weeded out. I love what you did there Mm -hmm. with that democratic colleague, hearing their words, listening to them, and then doing something about it.
0: Yeah. That's a great idea. I mean, it was a wonderful idea. Another one, um, you know, one thing I want us to do is I think our voters, one thing we did right in South Carolina, we got our election results done on election night. Right, we, we knew did. knew what happened. A lot of states didn't do that. So one thing my bill also does, um, we did this last year, which is letting the absentee votes are in two envelopes. We let the counties open up their outer envelope one day. And um, and then the next day they open the inner envelope and they count the ballots. Mm-hmm. That way the ballots are done being counted at 7 p.m. on election night. They're not doing what Georgia or Pennsylvania were right. doing, which counting them days later. So my bill would put what we did last year and just put it in the law and let the elections office do that. Because having our results on election night, I think, are key to helping our voters trust our election
1: results. Let's talk about that for a second. Yeah. There are those in both parties. Mm-hmm. Who are calling for a forensic audit of elect elections, hunting election fraud, mm-hmm. those sorts of things? What does 4150 do to address this idea of an audit?
0: So, so my current bill doesn't do anything, but some okay. changes I've been looking at doing to add in it is to set up um, the more standardized our auditing process. So, a lot of people don't realize we already audit our results. Yes. So, one of the good things about the system that we bought. Um, is that it has that paper backup. So, you know, you, you use the machine, you get your ballot, and you put it in the black box. So you have, one, you have the electronic count that comes from the black box, but the ballots are in the bottom. And what they do is every county pulls out a precinct or two after Election Day, and they hand count those ballots. That allows you then to be able to audit your results to know if they match. And I think that's so important, so important that you have that paper backup. Because one problem I think we had with our old system, we didn't have that paper backup. We only had the computer screens that people pushed. And so a recount or an audit of those ballots really just meant hitting print again. And that was a huge problem. Now we can open those ballots up. We can hand count them. And we did that. After the election wow. in South Carolina, we, our audit showed nothing. So you can go down to your County building to your elections office and they can give you the audit they did on what precinct in their County. And you can look at it and That's they can show good. you how there was no change <laughs> on those ballots. Um, so what might Bill do to standardize that one, requ- put a number requirement, either each County has to do like one precinct or two or two precincts or a percentage of precincts. Each election has to be made public. Mm-hmm. Um, and then give the State Election Commission the ability to, to to command or order more audits if they see fit. If something's out of whack, they have the power on their own. They don't have to come to the General Assembly. They can go, hey, something doesn't look right here, and then they do it. And even more importantly, the State Election Commission would pick the precinct. So this is something I think would help. You know, the State Election Commission doesn't know – what little precinct in Lancaster they're going to pick. But letting the state election commission pick that stops per se. What if, you know, I don't think this happens, but it would stop a local elections office from picking their own precinct that they're going to audit. Right. Bring, let the state election commission do it. It's an outsider doing it. You can't say, well, you knew you were going to audit this precinct, so you didn't mess with that one. You know, having that outsider pick that precinct I think is good. Um, and then, and then lastly, um, the, the forensic audit question, you know, I get that a lot. And, and this is something I've told people is if you look in our code, there is no such thing as a forensic audit with elections. There are recounts and there are audits. Right. And I think, you know, one reason I think people love the word forensic audit and why I think groups use that is because it has no real legal meaning in our code. And so when people ask for that. What you know, what my question is, what do you mean? Because when I ask my constituents that, they all say something different, and so, like, some stuff they want to hand count of the ballots, that's just a hand recount, yeah. you know, and that can be done. And in a lot of elections, it was, I think, there was like 15 elections after this year that were hand recounted. Um, because they were so close. There was a couple state house seats. One here in Richland actually was one of the ones they they recounted. Um, So that can be done. But audits are already in our system. But I want to put that more into law, um, give the state election commission more authority so they can order more audits, and require those things to be put in the public eye. Um, That way our voters can trust our system. Voters need to trust the system we're using, and I want to make it as easy as possible to do that.
1: I appreciate what you just said there. We've traveled the state. We've gone uh, through the Gospel Changes Everything Tour. We've been to uh, four locations so far. We've got five more scheduled. And we're talking about the issues that Mm -hmm. uh, the gospel influences. Uh, Justin, tell those listening at home what we heard in our very first stop in Fort Mill.
2: With the very first stop in Fort Mill, we're going through, at these tour stops, we're going through all the major issues that are important to discuss uh, Hate crimes legislation, religion being essential, medical marijuana, which is going to be a big topic at the state house uh, oh, yeah. in January. A lot of critical race theory, all of these things that are important and they matter. And these are issues that we have to understand and discuss. At the end of the meeting, we had a Q and A time, which I, oh, I'm a big fan of Q and As because it gives you an idea of what people are thinking about even through the event. Mm-hmm. The last question, a gentleman and 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 you know. God bless him because he was he was on the money he was he was ready he said I understand all of the issues that you guys have talked about are important they are but and and, and as soon as he said that but I knew where it was going because it's the same conversations mm-hmm. that that I've had Mitch I'm sure that you've had oh, I'm yeah. sure you've had Brandon everyone has the same question why do, what does it all matter if we can't trust our elections because. And color me naive or color me young, I don't believe we've had this big of a discussion about this in any other election outside of outside of this previous one. Again, pandemic, absentee voting, doing it for whatever reason and across any state. All the states had different laws and they were changing them right before the election. Yeah. All this was going on. It was a firestorm. Mm-hmm. So for you, with this bill, how do you respond to people who simply say, I can't trust the system. I can't trust the way it's set up. Therefore... I'm not either I'm not going to vote or I don't care about any other issue but, but this, this one
0: so first I'd say I, I hope one if they if this is their number one issue that they help support bills like mine that can get these changes made so that we can finally have in-person early voting um, and we can stop this the system where we're allowing people to use the absentee voting system as an early voting mechanism which it never was intended to be and no general Assembly when they created it thought it would be um, secondly to that, Um, You know, get to know your elections office. This is actually something I really recommend. Work the polls. Be a poll worker. So in the previous election, when we had the primaries in June of last year. You know, COVID was just a big thing. It was happening. We were short poll workers. So I didn't have an opponent. So I went and ran a precinct for my county because they were short. I was like, look, put me in a rural box. It's not going to have a big turnout. I know enough about the election law. I can kind of, you know, I can manage a precinct. So I did that. So I got to work with these machines work with the voters teach them how to use it that was only the second time they were used that was a really eye-opening experience because I saw firsthand from when I had to turn that ballot box in and it had that seal on it that had my name on it and if that seal was broke I was in a whole lot of trouble mm-hmm. right? you know and and I had to sign for it and there was a chain of custody for those ballots from me to the elections office you know that gave me so much trust in our system so here's what I would encourage a lot of people when I'm doing this back home if you're a Um, a conservative and you worry about our elections you want to make sure they're done right you work the polls these elections offices are desperate for poll workers and you make you be the person on the front line making sure there's nothing's going wrong that the law was followed to the word you be that change Um, it's only one day you know it's big it's one day every other year yeah you know, is that too much to ask that to do that? Because, you know, I think that's a huge change. A lot of these local counties are struggling for poll workers. And having some good conservatives at each precinct who know the law, that'll build trust. Because what I noticed when we have debates, like in our local county party meeting, I was at a York meeting, and um, we had people who were arguing over it. Margaret Blackwell, who's a longtime party person in York, she's, I think, the executive committee woman still, she stands up and she's like, I trust these machines. They say, why? She said, I work polls. Mm-hmm. I'm, mm-hmm. And they, they were like, well, how do we know where the bouts are? She said, cause, and she explained what she did, how she has to drive those, those bouts to York, sign them in, make sure they're protected. You know, And people just don't know our system. And so I think the more you get to know it, the more you work in it, the more you see it, you'll build trust. And you'll be able to see when someone has a question, you'll be able to answer that question. Because, look, everybody that has a problem with our election is not going to call me. Right. And there's just no way for me to touch all those people. But the more people who are involved in our system, and especially the more conservative people who get involved in our system, who care about our elections being done properly, that's key. Um, lastly, I'll add county election commissions. These are things the delegations appoint. No one thinks they're important. They do matter. I mean, look, you have to be apolitical when mm-hmm. you take them. Um, But it's so important, you know, when I pick election commissioners for Lancaster, I want people I trust who are going to follow the law. I don't care how they vote. I want them to make sure they're going to follow the law to the T. And if they're not going to do that, then I don't want them on that election commission. So if you know a legislator, tell them you want to serve on that election commission in your county. Trust me, they're desperate for those around the state. Most counties don't have full election commissions. That's a great way for that average person who wants the system to work to be the change. And you make sure it works.
2: Goodness gracious, you're talking about election commissions. It seems like the two in local areas, election commissions and school boards. <laughs> and yes. I feel like those are the areas where mo- the most impact needs to be made and the mm-hmm. most involvement needs to be.
0: You know, they're not sexy. They're not shiny. People don't, They. no one's ever thought that they matter. They matter now. They
1: matter
2: now. Well, that's
1: one of the things that we've focused on for so long, Representative Newton, is getting people involved. Yes, You must be present to win. You have to participate in the process in order to have a voice. Mm -hmm. And I appreciate what you said there. It, It may not be glamorous. It may not be something that is really excitable, but we need Mm -hmm. you listening right now we need you to be involved and that's one of the things that we are driving home for the people listening to palmetto family matters those that are engaged with what we're doing for those listening right now, what else would you tell them? Is there anything else you would share with our listeners about what's happening in South Carolina? Why there is hope for what's happening in the Palmetto State?
0: Yeah. So one, I think you know, one, we're a much more conservative state than than people right. realize, and I think our General Assembly's done a pretty good job of protecting a lot of those conservative values. But some other little election law bills that we've passed that really got no attention that are big deals. Let me go through a couple of them. One, um, you might find this weird, but only the Republicans and Democrats pay filing fees to run for office Um, because of how our system was set up back in the 90s the third parties don't pay filing fees so you might remember the lindsey graham senate race so you had lindsey graham jamie harrison and then i can't remember the other guy's name but he was the constitution party candidate so lindsey graham and jamie harrison paid over ten thousand dollars to put their name on the ballot But but he didn't wow so that's a huge hole in our system if and these third parties have guaranteed ballot access So they don't have to go get signatures to get on the ballot. They have guaranteed ballot lines, and they don't pay a filing fee. That's crazy. Um, And and so we passed a bill in the House. It's actually on the Senate floor that would fix that. That's a huge deal. Um, Every party and every candidate should be treated the same. Right. And that's a huge thing. Right. Plus, and also a bill we passed out of our subcommittee and election laws in the House would get rid of fusion voting. It's where people run on like three lines at one time. So you might be like, like one of my opponents did at one time. It was like State House 45, Brandon Newton, Corin Buskey Democrat, Corin Buskey working families and mm-hmm. it it confuses the voters. Mm-hmm. It's extremely um, odd. People, not not many people even do it anymore. Right. But it's loud, and so we're one of, I think, only thirteen states that still do it. So we passed a bill out of subcommittee that would get rid of that. I think that's a huge change. It helps keep the ballot shorter, which in turn keeps the line shorter. And you know, this is something big corporations do. Like Walmart spends tons of money. It's hard to believe this, making sure their lines go quickly. Um, we should take that same approach with our election lines. It's, look, is this, that one change really worth that? And I'd say yes, because one, very few candidates do it and it's confusing the voters. So it's not really worth us allowing it to happen. And no election in the last, my research shows about eight years, has someone won because they did that. Mm. There's no evidence of someone basically, <laughs> yeah. let's say a Republican and runs as a Republican libertarian. There's no evidence of him losing to the Democrat by 10 votes on the Republican-Democrat line, but because he got 50 votes on the Libertarian line, he won. Like, that has not happened. So my question is, why do we do it? It's just opening up for confusion and problems. So there's some bills that, you know, haven't got a lot of attention,
1: but I think are good
0: election bills that will make our system better.
1: That's great. That's great ideas. Ladies and gentlemen, you've got to get plugged into what's happening in South Carolina And I want to publicly on air thank you, Representative Newton, for you making a stand for conservative values in the Palmetto State. If you want to know more about what's happening in the state legislature or about Representative Brandon Newton, I'll ask you to go to your app store, wherever you get your apps, whether that's Google Play, Apple App Store, Amazon, or Roku, and download the Palmetto Family Council app. You'll find all the vital information you need, not only this podcast, but What's happening in the state house? If you want to read H forty one fifty yourself, go mm-hmm. to the Palmetto Family Council app. Click on Inside the State House. Type in forty one fifty, and you can read Representative Brandon Newton's bill on election integrity.
2: I'm looking at the app right now. You can get access to our our articles that we put out. Each and every day. It seems like you can, that includes all of the articles written in the Palmetto Family Matters magazine, which is available now for you. We would love to get you a copy of that. Get on our mailing list and we will get you a copy of that magazine. Obviously, every podcast is available there as well. Go back and listen to them all. This is our, happens to be our Election Day podcast, but this is just, One of 15 podcasts that we've done since the middle of August. And we appreciate everyone listening and sharing this with your friends and with your family. Again, generating the conversation so we can all be well-informed. I've learned a lot today. The more you know. Get well-informed, get educated, and you can become much more impactful when you know what's going on in your area And in your state. Representative Newton, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank y'all. I actually downloaded the app while y'all were talking. That is a plug right there. There's another win. That's right. That is a plug right there. Representative Newton, representing Lancaster and York counties, but residing in the great area of Lancaster. That's right. South Carolina. You said it right. Lancaster. Of course. I'm in South Carolina. There you go. I don't even even pronounce it the wrong wrong way in Pennsylvania. That's the thing. It's not Lancaster. It's Lancaster. I was going to say, you know
1: when somebody's from up the north or Pennsylvania. When they say Lancaster, yes, oh yeah, Lancaster. we
0: tell the difference. We Don't. have to. Whenever the new weatherman comes to Charlotte, they get a lot of hate mail when they say it wrong the first time. They have to fix it.
2: Representative, we really appreciate you joining us. And any time, we would love to have you join us here on the Palmetto Family Matters podcast. Thank Absolutely. you so much. Thank y'all for having me.